0: bless you. All right. Good morning. How are you? We good? Excellent. Excellent. Happy to be here with you today. Uh, Excited for this message, very excited for this message. I've been studying, and I've learned some really amazing things this week, and I'm excited to share it with you. Um, I want to take just a second, and uh, before I jump into the message, I'll pray in just a moment, Uh, but I want to cast just a little bit of vision around something that we do every single year. At the end of the year, we have what we call our best gift offering. Um, We haven't spoken about it a whole lot so far this year. We've been so wrapped up in getting this building and all that kind of stuff. We've been in the middle of a huge uh, financial campaign, our first financial campaign, an incredible celebration that we closed on this building uh, on November the 30th. We closed on this building. We now own this building. It's amazing. It's a miracle uh, for a church that's as young as we are to uh, own its own building and for God to do such an incredible miracle. We're halfway through our unstoppable campaign, and I want to, uh, we'll, in the new year, we'll share this uh, again and we'll cast vision. We've got a, a lot of new people that are part of our church that weren't here when we launched this, but I want to show you some images because the very first project we're going to do and the focus of of our year-end giving. Uh, whether you have made a pledge for Unstoppable, we appreciate that. We want to encourage you to continue and help us with that. Um, but if you haven't, you want to be a part of it, your best gift or year-end offering is going to go towards our children's remodeling. We've got some really cool images. We've uh, engaged a company called Worlds of Wow. And we, the, the vision, the goal, is we want to create... An environment for our kids that it captivates their imagination, that excites them and inspires them. We've got hundreds of people involved in our church, but guys, there are thousands of people in the city. In fact, there's about seventy-five thousand children in our city, and only about half of them go to church. We want to create an atmosphere that captivates imagination, that creates the the desire and the interest for kids to want to come and be a part and want to learn and all of that. And so, we want to show you some images. Can we show a couple images of what we have to so the idea here, and this is one of the things they're going to go off of, we want to create a treehouse Experience The Oaks Kids Clubhouse, right? So as they enter in, you're going to see lots of different images. Let me give a couple of these other ones we got for ideas of what we're trying to create inside of that kid's space. Uh, Whether they, when you walk in through the lobby, an incredible uh, opportunity for kids to see and be inspired. This whole clubhouse theme, they go in, they're going to have actual uh, playgrounds and all that type of stuff. The whole thing's going to be themed out. The idea is it would create almost a little bit of a Disney experience for our kids so that the kids have that type of an opportunity. We want to invest in them, right? It's important that we understand that the world spends a whole lot of money to lure your kids. I, I don't know if you, you know about a little company uh, uh, called MTV. They're owned by another company. The, you, know, you know what the theme of that company is? Cradle to Grave. They want to own you, they want to disciple you from the cradle to the grave. MTV, Nickelodeon's owned by the same company. They're training your children from the beginning all the way up and they spare no expense. And as the church, we need to position ourselves with the right type of attitude that we recognize what we're up against, and we gotta invest in our kids. We gotta invest in the and captivate the imagination of our kids. So, the first thing that we're going to do now that we own the building, is we're going to begin to invest in the kids space so that we can take care of the kids, not just that are in our church, but are also a part of our community because we know that there are literally going to be thousands of people that come to Jesus through this ministry here at Oaks Church, and we're glad that you're a part of it, and we're excited for the future. So just know, as you begin to pray and prepare your heart, uh, the reason that we do a best gift offering at the end of the year is because Jesus is the entire reason for the season. And if he's not a part, when we're buying all these gifts and doing all these different things, whatever you're customs and traditions are, if Jesus is not a part of that, and he's not a focus of that, and he's not important in that, then there's something off. As Christians, as followers of Jesus, we need to make sure that Jesus is the centerpiece of this season, just specifically and especially when it comes to what we're doing with our gifts, because the entire thing is about Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your mercy. I thank you for your love and your faithfulness. Father, I ask you in Jesus' name that you would just release your word to us today, that you would encourage us, that you would speak, Father, and that we would hear your voice and walk in the fullness of everything that you've called us to walk in. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. Well, today I want to talk. We're going to jump into the story where we talk about the Magi who traveled from the East to meet Jesus and we're gonna talk about what Jesus is worth to you. The concept of worth is a concept that is, well I'm gonna, say, I'm gonna say it this way, worth is relative. Worth is relative. There are certain things that are worth something to one person and they're not worth that much to someone else. There are things that are very valuable to you but they're not valuable to someone else. And so worth is relative. We have a number of different relationships in our lives. We have relationships that are very valuable to us. We have relationships that aren't as valuable. We have relationships that we're in that we feel very valued and we feel like the, like, like we are worth something to that other individual. And the way that we carry ourselves and the way that we live our lives expresses those feelings to other people. We have things in our life you might have possessions the other week. We had our men's breakfast, turbos and tacos, and we got to see things that were worth a whole lot to individuals. People brought their Lamborghinis, Ferraris, Porsches, Corvettes, hot rods, all kinds of stuff, vehicles that are literally potentially hundreds of thousands of dollars in hobbies that people have spent tens and even hundreds of thousands of dollars in these hobbies, and that's something that's valuable to them. It's worth something to them. Uh, my dad, Ken Scribner, he, uh, he was always w- what I would call a watch guy. Watches and knives. That, that's, in fact, that's what I, I put... In, My portion in the will, all watches, all knives, and all handguns, just so you know, whenever you want, I mean, that's just part of it. You got to put those things in there, right? You know, that way there's no squabbling, you know, when I don't care about anything else, but watches, knives, handguns. So because of that, I began to buy my dad amazing gifts inside of those categories because obviously, you know, best gifts are the ones you give yourself. Praise the Lord. (laughs) Wasn't planning on confessing that today, but that's all out there now. So my dad raised me, and and, you know, a gentleman always had a knife on him, a gentleman always had a a timepiece, he knew what time it was, it was something that you should have. And, And so I became, as a young man, really, really, really into watches. And I would collect watches, and I remember it was the summer of 1991. And I, I had a friend who's a really, really, really big man. Uh, he was probably 10 or 15 years older than I was. And he was about maybe 6'4 and about 260 pounds. He was a huge guy. And he said, Joel, he goes, um, I, I'm going to sell my Rolex. I was 17. I just graduated high school. He goes, you want to buy it? I said, I, I said, dude, I'm 17. I can't afford a Rolex. Rolex is worth thousands of dollars. He goes, no, no, I'll make you, I'll make you a deal. He goes, I'll sell it to you, he goes, I bought this Rolex, it sat in my drawer for two years, it's too small for my wrist, his wrists were like this big around, he goes, it won't fit on my wrist, I went to buy just one little extra link, it's $100, still wouldn't fit, just for the one little link, he goes, so I went back and bought another one, another, it doesn't fit, it still doesn't fit, he goes, it's just sitting there, it's doing nothing, I just want enough money to buy a Seiko. I said, okay. He says, how about I sell it to you for $350? I said, deal, can I make payments on it? I was 17, just graduated high school, I was lifeguarding. I didn't have any money. Can I make payments? Yes, you can make payments. And I bought my first Rolex, it was a Submariner, my favorite watch of all time, the most beautiful watch in the world. This watch became my favorite possession that I'd ever had. I wore it everywhere. I showered in it. I never took it off. I had this, literally, it's like this watch was, and I had lots, I would collect other watches, lots of other watches, but this was the watch. The only watch I'd ever really wanted. And I remember being at a camp one time, and I was walking with a guy, he was one of the interns in the youth ministry, it was a summer camp. It was the year 2001, and I was walking with him. And and I asked I asked him what time it was because we were at camp and we'd been doing all kinds of campy stuff and he goes I don't have a watch I said you don't I said you don't have a watch you like you don't own a watch he goes no I don't own a watch I'm like what kind of a dude doesn't own a watch I mean I'm gonna have to teach this guy I gotta mentor this guy if you're a man you need a watch you need a gun you know come on it's things a man has to have in his life right and, and so I thought you know what I'm I gotta, I'm gonna give him a watch. And instantly, I heard the Lord say, you got a watch you could give him. I said, oh my God, I do. I got this watch. I could give him that one. And the Lord, in my heart, he's like, "Mm -mm, not that one. Okay, I'll give him this one. Mm -mm, Not that one. I'll give it. And I ran through six, seven watches that I could give him that were all really nice watches. He goes, no, no, you know the one. And I said, I'm walking next to this dude having this little quiet prayer conversation and when the Lord said that to me I said absolutely not, I said dude I gotta go and I walked off, I said absolutely not God absolutely not, don't ever bring that up to me again (laughs) it's off the table I get home from the camp put my stuff down, kiss my wife go into my closet to set things away and open a drawer and I see that Rolex and I instantly started to cry And the Lord spoke to me in my closet. He said, Joel, he goes, it's not about the value. Because my argument was, God, I'll buy him a nice watch. I'll buy him an incredible watch, any watch, just not that watch. He said, it's not about the value, it's about the worth. I want you to show him what he's worth to me. Oh, I was mad. I'm mad at God. I called the guy. It's exactly listen. This is exactly 10 years later. The same month, 10 years later, I called the guy, I set an appointment, come see me in my office. We sit in my office, I tell him the whole story. And, and and I tell him the Lord wants you to understand how much you're worth. And I gave him this Rolex. And I cried. I literally cried giving him this Rolex. I mean, literally, this thing was a part of my body. And and, and he thanks me and all of that. And about a week goes by. I see this guy almost every day. Another week goes by. He's never wearing the watch. So I asked somebody. I said, "Dude, I gave him that Rolex. Why is he never wearing it?" He said, "Oh, he uh, he pawned it, so he could pay his car insurance." I said, he, "I said many unchristian things in that moment, many unbiblical words." He what? My Rolex to pay car insurance? Are you t- the, most pre- the most precious thing to my life, to my heart? He pawned it for car insurance? I was so angry, God. <laughs> and, and, and I said, Listen, God, I said, That's it. I said, I will never buy an expensive watch again. I'll never buy anything like that for myself again. If you want me to have a nice watch, if you want me to have one, you give it to me. That's it. In fact, I I like this exact version or this exact version. These are the only two I'll accept. I was young, I was in my late 20s. So 10 years go by. I'd had a bunch of other watches. I gave them all away. My wife would buy me an anniversary watch. The Lord would move on my heart, I'd give it away. I had been in Las Vegas speaking at a church while I'm there. Uh, The Lord told me to give my watch to this gentleman at this church, who was a multi-multi-multi millionaire. had had literally he he had Lamborghinis and and Shelby's and and uh, and Ferraris and I mean his house you drove into his garage and had an elevator to take his cars down to the bottom level. Chris, you have no idea he had an entire under garage in his house that he would lower cars down and then drive them around underground. This guy could afford a hundred of my watches. God said give it to him, okay, give it to him, that's how I live my life, see God broke something in me and taught me about worth, that although something was worth something to me, it wasn't worth something to him, but it was about what I was willing to give to demonstrate how much God was worth to me, see it wasn't really about the individual, it was about me and God, The relationship was about me and God. What was God worth to me? See, love gives. Love gives. We're in the series called Adore. Love and Adore, or love and Adoration are, are synonymous. They're the same. You can't adore without loving. You can't love without adoring. You can't love, truly love, without action. Love takes action. Love is a verb. Love requires doing something. You can't tell your spouse, your child, your family, you love them and do nothing to show it. Doesn't mean anything if there's no action. It's similar to faith. Faith without works is dead. Love without expression is empty. It's purposeless. People get nervous when the preacher starts talking about giving in church. If you have a generous heart, you shouldn't. If you're stingy, you should. But love gives. And we can't say we love God and we love his people and live stingy lives. We have to live generous lives. And this season that we're in, this Christmas season, is all about Jesus. It's all about giving. We practice that. We demonstrate that on Christmas morning, Christmas Eve. I love Christmas Eve. I'm so excited for Christmas Eve services here at Oaks Church, our very first one. I've wanted to do it since we started, and we finally get to do it. We finally have a space to do it. I can't wait. Uh, We're going to have communion as well on that night. It's going to be a beautiful service. You're not going to want to miss it. I can't wait to celebrate Christmas Eve with you all. And I've been researching and studying, and I've got an amazing message that I'm going to teach you on on, on Friday night this week. But today, Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, I'm going to jump into the story of the Magi. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. I want to talk to you about the characters that are inside of the story. These are some very interesting characters. The first one that we see and need to recognize is this guy named Herod, King Herod, Herod the Great. Herod the Great is probably, if not the most prolific architectural genius of the ancient world. The things that he designed and created and built inside of Israel were absolutely amazing. They were astounding King Herod was actually friends with, uh, with Caesar in Rome. He was also friends with, uh, with Mark Anthony and Cleopatra. They had a friendship and a relationship there. So he was not a godly man of all. He was a very shrewd and wicked politician. In fact, Herod was paranoid. Ancient uh, historical manuscripts record that Herod killed his own wife because she, he was afraid she wanted his throne. He had killed his brother-in-law because he thought that he had wanted his throne. He killed three of his own sons because he thought that they wanted his throne. Anyone that was inside of his world that had the potential of taking his throne, he would kill. In fact, the Caesar, Caesar Augustus said it would be better to be one of Herod's pigs than one of his children. This is a wicked man. So he's distressed because these magi show up. Now we have a misconception in our nativity scene that we think these magi were there at the nativity. They weren't. They came about 18 months to 24 months later. They weren't in Bethlehem. Um, There's actually no record of them going to Bethlehem. These magi, there weren't three. They weren't necessarily kings. Um, this was a company of, of 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 wise men, and so, in order to understand who they are, you have to look outside of the Bible and look at other ancient manuscripts. There was a man named Philo. Of Alexandria, who was about ten years younger than Jesus, he was a he was a historian and he was a philosopher, and he lived. Or he came out of Alexandria, Egypt, but he wrote in that same era. He was in the same era of Josephus, actually even younger than Josephus. So he was an eyewitness to that era that Jesus was alive. And he wrote about this company of magi from the east. See, we get the word magic from the word magi. Same root word. Uh, so all of the witchcraft and all of the sorcery and all of the different things, the different uh, kings or stories of the Bible, the magi would 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 be a part of that type of thing. However, Philo from Alexandria wrote about a company of magi from the east that were God-fearing and were good magi. And they actually came from Jewish lineage. He traced them back to Daniel from the exile to Babylon when Daniel was in the house of Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel, remember Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, the three Israelite young men? They were the royalty of Israel when Babylon took captive Israel. It took all of its royal princes and made them subjects and tried to basically train them or brainwash them to be citizens of Babylon. But Shadrach, Neshach, Abednego, this group of, of God-fearing young Jewish royalty and nobility said, we're not going to bow down to this. We're going to have our own, uh, our own level and standards. And they became the highest level wise men inside of Babylon. And so, uh, in fact, so much so that Nebuchadnezzar uh, made a decree that no one was able to worship any other god except for the one true god, Babylon, became a God-fearing god fearing nation and empire because of the influence of these wise men, these magi. Historians say that they were kingmakers, they were politicians, they were massively wealthy. In fact, the things that I studied this week revealed that that the company of these you hear in scripture the company of the prophets well the company of these magi it wasn't three dudes it was literally hundreds of people that were inside of this company and they were such influential people they with a the word could set someone into a kingdom as the king or withdraw someone as the king in fact Philo said in the year 39 these same magi had already been to Israel before and they put King Herod's kingship on hold temporarily while they sorted some different things out these were powerful massively wealthy men that came from the east and with them came an army. According to the historians, they would have had this special forces unit there was a part of the Persian Empire that was the most fierce and ferocious military people uh, on the planet at that time that even the Roman soldiers would be nervous and afraid around these Persian special forces. The historians say there were pr- probably between 500 to 1,000 people inside of this traveling party. So when this group of 1,000 wealthy Magi with all of their armies and all of their people shows up. The whole nation was distressed because something's going on. Not to mention that in that day and age, everyone studied the sky. On Christmas Eve, we're going to talk about what actually happened in the sky and God's masterpiece that he orchestrated from the beginning of time and what actually happened inside of the constellations and the planets and all of those different things to prove that a Messiah King had been born. But these magi show up, and they saw. They said, we saw the king's star rising in the east, and we followed him here. And when they came, they came with these gifts. They followed the star, they came with these gifts, and they found themselves at the house where Jesus lived. And according to the historians that I studied this week, when they opened up, it says in scripture that they opened up their treasures, that it literally was like cargo vans of treasures. It wasn't three cute little boxes. Cargo vans of treasures. They had inside of this caravan, they had literally wagon after wagon after wagon after wagon. Historically, when these, when these magi would show up, if it was a low-level king, if it was an entry-base-level king, the, the proper gift to a base-level king was 110 kilos of gold. That's 250 pounds. That's, in our current calculation, at $1,600 an ounce or whatever it is, that's $6.4 million of just gold. But they came with frankincense and myrrh. The frankincense and the myrrh, these things literally were equal value to gold, if not more valuable than gold because of how rare they were. And all of these gifts had symbolism. Gold was representative of a king. Frankincense was representative of a priest and also of deity, of worship. And then you have the myrrh, which was symbolic of a sacrificial death. So at the offering, these things that were given, and just to put this in perspective, if you remember at Jesus' death, a man named Nicodemus came and brought a hundred pounds of pure nard. That was the myrrh that they made this anointing oil out of. Remember the alabaster box? The woman who gave the alabaster box, that had that spike nard in it. That that was worth a year's wages. Call it $50,000. That box, that offering, a $50,000 offering. That Judas said, why such waste? And Jesus said, she's worshiping. See, one person calls it waste. Another person calls it worship. Worth is relative. So when Nicodemus brought 100 pounds of pure nard, each pound was a year's wages at $50,000. That's $5 million on the funeral of Jesus. When he was born, gifts fit for a king. At his death, gifts fit for a king. I don't know if you've ever paid for a funeral. Uh, the cheapest ones you can find are probably about twelve dollars or $15,000. That's a cheap one. You get a little hole, you get a little, hole, get a little box, a little bit of nothing. We're talking about a, a private tomb was given to Jesus. It would would be like a mausoleum. We've been there. We've seen it. It it was a private garden. this, This literally... It would be like someone giving an entire piece of real estate, a garden of real estate, for King Jesus to be buried in. See, the misconception is that Jesus was poor. The Bible never says Jesus was poor. The Bible says that he became poor, that we might be rich. He was poor in his death. But at his birth... At his his two-year birthday, these magi showed up with with literally, conservatively, tens of millions of dollars of gifts. Massive wealth. Massive wealth. Because it's the king of kings. Not a low-level king. The king of kings. Kings they brought massive wealth. That's how Jesus, when they escaped, Joseph took him to Egypt. Alexandria, Egypt was where he took him. He would be like you going from Nazareth. And just so you know, in the book of Luke, it says that after 40 days, that, that after the 40 days of purification, they presented Jesus in the, uh, at the temple, that they took him to Nazareth where they lived. He wasn't in Bethlehem. The star led them to Nazareth. Didn't lead them to Bethlehem. But but I need you to understand that it would be like leaving Nazareth and going to Alexandria. It would be like leaving the colony and going to Manhattan. It it, it would you're talking about what would cost you five hundred bucks for rent, a thousand bucks for rent in the colony. You're talking about. to rent in New York City, Manhattan. So millions and millions and millions of dollars provided. Now watch this. This is interesting. Mary, her dad's name was Joachim. Joachim had a brother. You're going to know his name if you grew up in church. Joachim's brother was Joseph of Arimathea. Joseph of Arimathea was the one that at Jesus' death went to Pontius Pilate and bartered for the body and said, let me have the body. And let me. He, he was a wealthy, wealthy, wealthy man. Historians believe, in fact, historians believe that Joseph of Arimathea was the wealthiest man in all of Israel. Did you know Jesus was surrounded by massively wealthy people? His Elizabeth and Zechariah, who had John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, Zechariah was the high priest. Massively wealthy. Mary and Joseph were both of the royal lineage of David. This is a royal lineage line. The concept that Jesus was poor is a massive misconception. He never took a single offering. He was surrounded by wealthy people constantly. You look at the different people that lived inside that were inside of his sphere of influence. He was surrounded by incredibly influential and wealthy people. At his death, They gambled for his garment because they didn't want to rip it, because it was so valuable. It's a misconception that Jesus was poor. Jesus chose to live his life as a nomad. He chose to live his life away from all of that, but Jesus never lacked for anything. And the historians believe that Joseph of Arimathea actually, after after Joseph, his father's death, became the steward over the wealth that the Magi had brought. That historically he would have been the one that would have become the steward for that family and for the finances of that family. There's nowhere in scripture anywhere that describes Jesus as being poor or Mary as being poor. It only says that he became poor in his death. What's the point? The point is we're talking about the King of Kings. And that there were people on the planet that recognized what he was worth. My question is, do you recognize what he's worth? What is Jesus worth to you? What's he worth to you? If Jesus was before you, like he was at Simon's house... When Lazarus was there, Martha was in the kitchen, Mary's there. Lazarus had just been risen from the dead by Jesus. The disciples are all there. And Mary comes in with this alabaster box, gets down on her hands and knees, breaks it open worth a year's wages, call it 50 grand. Pours it out over his feet, begins to wash his feet with her hair. This likely was her dowry, part of her dowry that she would have spent in order to get married. And she broke it over Jesus because there was no one worth more than Jesus to her. And in the same room is Judas. Judas says, why such waste? Jesus corrects it. He says, leave her alone. What she's done is beautiful. She's done this to prepare me for my burial. And what she's done here will be taught everywhere around the world wherever this gospel is preached. Guys, here we are 2,000 years later fulfilling the message of Jesus Christ that this woman's worship would be called waste. But Jesus said it was legendary. And Jesus said to... Watch this. Jesus said to Judas, the poor... You will always have with you. You know where Judas went straight after that? Straight after that. Jesus says, this is in Mark chapter 14, I believe, verse 10 or 11. It says, he did this, she did this for, to prepare me for my burial. Wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, she has done this. It will be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the 12, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this. Promised to give him money watch this what is Jesus worth to you to Judas to Judas Jesus was worth what Judas could get to Mary Jesus was worth what Mary could give there are some people that look at Jesus and it's about what they can get There are other people that look at Jesus and it's about what they can give. Jesus cursed Judas that day. The poor you will always have with you. Judas got 30 pieces of silver for betraying Jesus. In that era, it was the price that you would spend to buy a slave. Jesus was traded for the price of a slave. At Judas's Recognition or understanding of what he had done. He tries to return the money, throws it. He says, this is blood money. And the priests that were there said, that's not our problem. But he threw it into the temple anyway. And they said, this is, this is dirty money. We, 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 can't, we can't do anything with this. So they bought a field called the potter's field. It's the field where Judas, when he ran out of that place and hung himself, his body burst open. They bought that field. I've seen that field in Israel. You know what it became? It became a burial ground for poor people. It's where the people that couldn't afford a burial, they would just stick them in the ground out there in the potter's field. For eternity, the poor you'll always have with you. One person saw what they could get. Another person saw what they could give. When it comes to your worship, see, worth What Jesus is worth is connected to what you feel he's worthy of. And worth and worthy are connected to the word worship. How do you worship him? Is it only a song? Or is it with obedience? Is it with generosity? Look, I'm I'm talking about something way bigger than, way more than money. Please don't think this is about money. You can be really, you can be generous with your finances and stingy with your time. Lots of families, lots of children are destroyed, where parents only give material things and don't ever give themselves. We've got to be people that give all of ourselves to him. Everything you are is available to him, your personality available to him. He gave you that personality for a reason, your time. Your talent, your finances, everything you have, it's all His. Everything you have, it's all His. When it comes to generosity, I'm going to say something really strong. If you don't feel it, neither does He. We use this phrase in our, in our culture and maybe not all of you, some of you younger people do, whatever. Are you feeling me? Are you feeling me? You feel that? We, we, we say something, we, we say, feel, I, I don't feel the love. Does God feel your love? When it, comes to your, when it comes to how you show him what he's worth, does he feel your love? Because if you don't feel it, neither does he. If it doesn't cost you, David, when his mighty men came back with this offering, he pours it out. He says, I won't give the Lord something that costs me nothing. David, the man after God's own heart, understood that an offering isn't an offering if I don't feel it. A gift isn't a gift if I don't feel it. Your generosity, you should feel it. When Jennifer and I, when we give, we look at our giving statement and what we've given for a year, we feel it. It's significant. Why? Because he's significant. He's significant. He's worth it all. He's worth it all. 2011. In the summer, I'm sitting in my office. A friend calls me, JR, he's my, he's my attorney. He says, hey man, I got a question, can I stop by? Absolutely. He stops by my office, walks in, high five, hug. He goes, hey man, I got, I got a question. I said, what's that? He goes, how do I know when I'm supposed to give something away? I said, that's funny, you should mention that. I said, I got, I got a watch in my car just got back from Vegas, preaching at this church. My friend Danny there, the Lord told me to give him this watch. It's the watch Jennifer bought me for our 10-year anniversary. The Lord told me to give it away. I asked Jen, I said, hey, can I give it? God told me to give it. She's like, do whatever God says. It's got three carats of diamonds on it. It's a nice watch. I said, but, but Danny could buy a thousand of these. Danny, Danny literally ran a multi-billion dollar uh, branch of a, of a company in, in in Asia. He was a he's a Korean uh, American and, and literally oversaw all of Asia for this company. He could have bought he could have bought any of it. He drove. He was the youth pastor, volunteer youth pastor at his church. Would, would drive his Lamborghini to, to, to service. My God, Brittany, if you would just drive a Lamborghini to church, all the kids would come. It's the secret of building a great youth ministry. That that's next year's best gift offer. We Brittany a Lamborghini for crying out loud. <laughs> I said listen, I I said I texted him, I got his address, I told him to watch out for something, I'm sending him something, made sure he's going to be in town when he gets there. I said it's in my car right now, I said when I get off work, I'm going straight to, to 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 the post office and I'm mailing this watch to him, I said listen, I don't care if he likes it or not, I don't care if he throws it in the trash, gives it away, I don't care what he does with it, all I know is God told me to give it and I'm giving it, there's no strings attached. I start crying he goes I gotta come back I'll see you tomorrow it's okay he comes back the next day he sits down in my office he says Joel he goes I've been uh, fighting for three weeks the Lord told me to give something away and I told him no I've told him no for three weeks it's out of my kitchen table for three weeks me telling God no telling God no telling God no and when you told me the story I told him the whole story of the Rolex I told him the whole story of, of all of that every watch I had from that point on give it away give it away all of them all the way to the one that was in my car that day when he wants an appointment with me he says so I have to do this he goes but there's only one caveat he goes you're never allowed to give this away <laughs> and he pulls out a green box with the gold crown on top and he opens it up Inside of it, is this Submariner Rolex. A better one than I gave away. And it was literally, remember it was 1991 when I bought this watch. It was 2001 when I gave it away. Same month. Now it's the same month 2011. And God gives me the thing I said I would never buy for myself. What's the point? point is, is that God always multiplies and returns your gifts when you sow a seed in God's kingdom when, when you live a life of generosity when you when you live a life of giving your time when you live a life of of, of giving everything of who you are away God always returns and multiplies those gifts those seeds sown. I never asked for it I, asked, I prayed one time, God, if, you're ever, if I'm ever going to have one of these again, you give it to me. I will not buy it. I refuse to buy one for myself. I remember leaving that office and driving and, and looking at this watch. And honestly, I'm telling you, I just to me, it's the most beautiful watch in the universe. I just love this watch. But I remember wa- looking at my steering wheel and looking and going, huh. don't get me wrong, I'm a, I love it and you can't have it. Because I made a promise to my attorney, my friend. But the difference is this. This watch used to have me. Doesn't have me anymore. It used to be an idol. It's not an idol anymore. Now it's a testimony of the greatness of God. It's the testimony of the faithfulness of God. And and, and it's a story that for the rest of my life I'll wear. To symbolize that I can trust my father in heaven, that he'll never fail me, he'll never let me down, he'll never ask for more than I can handle, he'll never ask for more than I can give, he'll, he'll never leave me in a place where, where, where I'm trading for less when I interact with him. I can trust my father and you can too. Look, I don't know what you've been through in your life. I, I, I've been through a lot of disappointments, I've been through a lot of, a lot of setbacks. But I know my God is real. I know my God is good. I know my God is true. And I know he's no respecter of persons. And if you'll learn to live a life of incredible generosity towards him, his kingdom, his purpose, his children, it's the richest life you can live. Generous people are the richest people on earth generous people are the richest people on earth it truly is more blessed to give than it is to receive because if you understand the kingdom principle every time you're giving every time you're generous you're literally setting yourself up for a future harvest you live your, you, you, by, by living in a state of perpetual generosity you position yourself to live in a state of perpetual harvest to be the most generous version you possibly could of yourself You should set goals. Some of the wealthiest people I know, they don't set goals around how much they can make. They set goals around how much they can give. Massively wealthy. And they don't even even worry about about the making part. It's about the giving part. And the giving part always measures up because that's their main goal. And as they give this amount, it stretches them. The part that comes in blows them away because it's God. It's just how he works. I just want to warn you, though. Because there's a trap on the other side. There's a trap on the other side. It's the trap of Judas. Judas was the treasurer of Jesus' ministry. Jesus had a full-time treasurer. It's a part of his his disciples. A full-time person to manage the money. There was no lack inside of that ministry. But the trap is... If the relationship with Jesus becomes about what you can get instead of what you can give, you can be in the very presence of the king of the universe and completely miss the point. And end up destitute, like Judas, the, 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 the saddest person in the Bible literally lived in the presence of the Messiah and missed the whole thing because to him it was a means to an end instead of an opportunity to worship. I'm going to pray for you today. Father, I've released the word that you told me to release. I expressed the truths that you revealed to me as I studied. Didn't do it for my benefit, Father. I did it for the benefit of your children and God I ask you that you would move in their lives and move on their behalf and move in their hearts father that you would teach them what you've taught me the secret of a generous life the secret of a life where you literally live to give at every turn to give yourself away that everything that I have belongs to you my family is yours Everything I have is yours, Father. God, will you create a culture inside of this church of people that recognize that everything is yours. We're just stewards. We're just overseers of your resources. We're overseers of your talent. We're overseers of your goods and your goodness. And we exist in the, in the earth to be conduits of that goodness. To be a reflection of who you are to the world around us. You are the sun. You are the only light. We only reflect your glory. Father, make us into a people that reflects your glory. I wasn't planning on doing this, but I want to do this just as a moment. Similar to the moment that I realized that that watch I loved so much as a teenager became an idol in my life. and was more important to me than, than God was, than obeying God. That an object became so important that I would tell God, no, absolutely not. Don't ever bring that up to me ever again. That there may be somebody here listening. Hundreds of people listen or watch online at Oaks Church. There may be somebody in the room or somebody online and you're realizing that things have become an idol. Material things have become an idol. And they're worth more The individual than you are, Father. As that, as that revelation pours over different individuals, God, would you just break their heart for you? Would you break their heart for your for your Son Jesus and for the cause of Jesus and the earth? Would you break their heart for salvations for the children that you want to draw into this church and into this into your kingdom? For the families that you want to draw in, Father, would you break their heart for the lost? Would you help them to see that everything that they have and everything that they will ever have is yours? It's to be used for the mission of God in their life, whatever that means and however you manifest that to them. Father, there are so many things you want these wonderful people to do with their lives inside and outside of this church. But Father, would you give them the revelation of your goodness? Would you give them the revelation of your righteousness? Give them the revelation of your mercy. Give them the revelation of your generosity that... This whole thing, this whole thing, this whole thing is about your generosity. For you so loved the world, the cosmos, all of it, all of your creation. You so loved, not just not just the people, you so loved the entire cosmos that you gave your only begotten Son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. come on make Jesus the Lord of your life today make Jesus the Lord of your life not material things not accomplishments Jesus the Lord of your life in the name of Jesus just say this say Father forgive me for my pride for my selfishness I give my life to you all of it All of it is yours. And I ask you to save me. Be my Lord. I believe Jesus rose from the dead. And I make him my Lord today. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 God bless you. you.